0: If you're interested in breaking into the beverage industry or the consumer goods industry, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is the president and CEO of the Boston Beer Company. And before that, he was the president and CEO of Pete's Coffee. But before I introduce you to Dave Berwick, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays, and it's got unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite Pete's Coffee or Stumptown Cold Brew, Because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Dave Berwick, the president and chief executive officer of the Boston Beer Company, which in 1984 began brewing Samuel Adams beer, which is one of the largest and most respected craft beer brands in the Boston Beer Company's portfolio of brands. Dave is a highly respected and authentic leader with a strong track record of building effective business strategies and creatively executing bold initiatives in the companies where he's worked. Known for cultivating a people-centric culture that inspires true teamwork and collaboration, Dave has been at the helm of multiple hundreds of million-dollar companies, that's their Revenue, including Pete's Coffee, where he spent five years, and billion-dollar businesses like Weight Watchers International, where he spent almost three years, and the Pepsi division of PepsiCo that comprised Pepsi, Quaker, Tropicana, and Gatorade in Canada. In all, Dave spent 20 years in a variety of roles at PepsiCo, including as Chief Marketing Officer for PepsiCo North America Beverages a role he was asked to take by the chairman of PepsiCo, making him among the 29 top leaders of PepsiCo who advise the chairman on company strategy. Dave, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go?
1: Well, thank you for having me, Andrew, and I certainly am. I have a Pete's Major Dickinson
0: cup of coffee with me because it's never too late to have coffee during the day. Okay. Well, I don't know if I can agree with that. And even as somebody who lives and breathes coffee, as I do now, unfortunately, if I drink it too late in the day, it does affect my sleep.
1: Well, fortunately, I never, I've never had that problem. And so it just does what I want it to do whenever I want it to work. So I'm a very happy, even though I'm not in the
0: coffee business anymore, I'm still a happy and loyal pizza coffee drinker. Clearly. And actually, when I drink Pete's, I experiment. I try all kinds of coffee. I did actually also drink the Major Dickinson blend. And is Pete's just known for the dark blends of coffee? Is that primarily the um, its niche?
1: That is true. I mean, that's how Pete's really started was with a darker, richer blend that the founder, Alfred Pete, really preferred. And, and Pete's was really the first specialty coffee roaster to introduce that type of bold flavor to the American coffee drinker.
0: Yeah, and I learned from listening to another podcast interview that you gave that actually Starbucks was modeling its stores, I guess, off of Pete's, which had the first storefront. What's funny because most people
1: don't know the story, but the original founders of Starbucks actually learned how to roast from Alfred Pete in the Bay Area, and then they headed up to Seattle to start their own business, and uh, and then they and the early coffee that they actually sold was roasted by Alfred Pete. So they started Starbucks by selling Pete's coffee. And then eventually, you'll learn how to obviously source their own beans and roast them on their own. So cool.
0: One day, it will be a Jeopardy question. (laughs) (laughs) We never know. You never know. It may have already been. I'm not a regular watcher. Maybe our listeners can let us know if it's already been out there. So let's dive into our 10 pizza espresso shots here. And the first question being, What entry-level jobs, Dave, are available to young people who want to break into the consumer goods space? Yes,
1: and I will say, and I'll speak for Boston Beer, and I'll try to apply it to other, other areas as well, but for Boston Beer, we hire probably about 20 or 30 college graduates every year into our sales organization. So sales is really the good place to start at Boston Beer, and I would say that's true and a lot of larger, you know, consumer packaged goods companies, they recruit for, for out of college for for sales roles and you start there and then your career can take any turn from there and recognizing that particularly in these types of businesses, understanding the selling process and having interactions with customers is a, is a great way to develop yourself to do anything in the, in those businesses.
0: And is it sort of a rite of passage? I'm thinking as I listen to you, I've learned from those I've interviewed who are in the kind of talent and entertainment space, especially those who represent clients. And they've said, and also advertising for that matter, that you really need to start in the mailroom. That's just the way it's done. Is that the case for consumer packaged
1: goods? I I think it is because I think there's so much to learn about the business, but the in the best place to really learn a lot in a short amount of time is when you're literally in the trenches and you're talking to customers and you're being trained actually, which a lot of these programs like we do at Boston, have a great training program for salespeople and you're trained how to communicate, how to sell, how to counter arguments, how to adjust your communication style to the style of the person that you're trying to sell. So these are like really critical life skills that are important no matter what you do, and certainly at the beginning of your career, to get that experience allows you then to through your foundation that you can build upon as you evolve in your career at a company, whether you go into marketing or finance or anything else that you might be interested in, having a sales job really is a great learning experience that sets you up for success.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. So Dave, what is a useful hard and soft skill, hard being the technical skills, soft being more people oriented, that you look for in the young people that you hire? So
1: if we're hiring people right out of college for a sales role, for example, you know, we don't really look at, because at that point you really haven't developed a lot of skills and we don't expect that people are very accomplished. So we look beyond that. We look sort of at behavior, motivation of versus acquired skills. We want to find people that have spent some time trying to understand themselves and what they're interested in. So people who have self-awareness, people also who are willingness to, to improve themselves and looking to learn and to grow. We also look at people who we believe might have leadership capability because, you know, Boston Beer, we think of everybody as a leader, whether you have 100 people who might work on your team or nobody. You have to know how to lead and influence people across the organization. So it's really more, I guess the way you describe it, Andrea, it's more the soft skills that we look for. We also look, I'd say, try to assess character. Is this somebody that I can trust? Is this somebody who's competent, who really wants to do a good job and wants to learn? Is it somebody who has courage and is willing to speak up And when they see something that they don't agree with or something they don't like, that they feel confident Sharing that information, and lastly, I'd say, is it somebody who has humanity? Because we want to create a culture where people enjoy working with each other, and people respect other people, not just for what they do in the workplace, but for their who they are as a, as a total person. So, when we meet people, and it's not necessarily easy to to assess this in interviews, but we have a pretty extensive interview process, and we try to understand who is the person that we're bringing in, and will this person. When they, if they join the company, will they increase the average for the entire company? So we're always trying to look for somebody who's going
0: to be better than the, than the average and continue to make us stronger and stronger. Great. You said that Boston Beer Company generally brings on about 20 new college students every year. When are you recruiting for those positions? Is there a regular time of year that you're looking to fill them? Yeah, we do. We, we tend to do, we start it like in the fall, in the late fall. Generally, I mean, this year,
1: because of COVID, things have been a little bit disrupted, I would say, but generally late fall and it goes into the early spring
0: is when we recruit. Okay. And they can find those positions on your company website? Absolutely. They should go to the website, our careers website, and check it out. And if you're interested, absolutely apply. Okay. Do you care about applicants' majors? And is it a deciding factor to get into this industry, Dave? In other words, if they haven't studied, I don't know what that would be. Is it a deal breaker? Not, not at all. I mean, I think
1: whether you're, and I was a liberal arts major and I and I still believe strongly in the liberal arts, but you could be a liberal arts major, you could be a business major, economics, whatever it is. It, it honestly doesn't matter because we're going to train you and develop you into, into a leader. and And so I think it's just somebody who has applied themselves and and got something out of their college experience. But again, what you studied absolutely
0: does not matter to us. It does not matter. What about a graduate school degree? And this is less so for those entry-level positions, more so for somebody who would like to get into the C-suite the way that you have, who would like to be a chief executive or chief marketing officer, chief finance officer, whatever the case may be. And if so, what do you think are the most useful grad school degrees to get? I would say, well, first of all, I would say I wouldn't worry if you're
1: just leaving college or just out of college. I wouldn't worry too much about graduate school until you get some experience. But having said that, I think it depends where in the organization you go. So there's really probably two different pieces. One is if you end up in brand management as a career, or certainly at, at, at Boston Beer, an MBA could be helpful. It's not maybe as important as it was 10 or 15 years ago, but it still can be very helpful. And then if you're certainly like on the brewing side, there are technical, you know, degrees in biology, chemistry, et cetera, that that a lot of our folks have that could also be useful. But beyond that, like this is not, we don't have a culture that's really dominated by graduate degrees. Other companies might be more so, but I think really the best thing to do is when you start out in a role somewhere, and then you'll, you'll understand pretty quickly whether you need a graduate degree to get to the next place based on what your interests are and where you want to go. Because it is, it's a big investment. <laughs> it's not just the investment in the cost of graduate school, but it's also the, the opportunity cost of not
0: working for, say, a couple of years and in, in earning income. Interesting. You mentioned that it's not as important now, maybe, as it was 10 or 15 years ago. Why is that? You know, it's a good question. I
1: think, I just think our culture was such, you know, back in the day when when an MBA, as an example, was something that was really a requisite for advancement into into the C-suite level of many organizations. And I I don't, today you look around, you just don't see, again, it varies by industry and company, but I just don't see the preponderance of MBAs. And I I also know, for example, and I, I have an MBA, but I also know that when I look at candidates, within the organization say we're promoting people or moving people around or discussing this person might be a very high potential person I've never go back and look at their education quite honestly like instinctively for me I don't whether they have an advanced degree or not doesn't matter what what matters the most is should they perform well in their job and do we think they have the leadership capability that's required to be successful
0: at the company got it dave what kind of Life experiences. So, those experiences we have outside the classroom. Do you think are most useful for someone starting out in this field? And maybe it includes being a beer drinker, being a coffee drinker, enjoying a good Mountain Dew, you know, every now and again. I'm not sure, but what would you say would be the most useful life
1: experiences. Well I do think for anybody who's you know who's interested in working for a company, any company, it is important that you that you understand what products they make and you have some affinity toward them. And you because that's what you'd be spending your time talking about and, and working on and trying to grow. So you have to care about what what it is that you that you're selling. Otherwise what's the point what's the point of doing that? In terms of life experiences, I'd say any opportunity to lead, honestly, any opportunity to lead. And that don't mean you have to be this with the captain of of a sports team at, at college, but it's a good experience. But you can be involved in school organizations, you know, for your fraternity, sorority, any kind of leadership roles there. I think also just getting a good summer job. And I know there's a lot of pressure to have like the perfect resume coming out of college with all sorts of seemingly important summer jobs. For me, I think. It's more important just to get a real job and work with real people. And for example, not as easy now because of where we are in the world, but work at a restaurant, work in hospitality, work in a in a blue collar role. Learn how to do things like most of of the Americans do it and learn how to relate to people and understand, you know, their motivations and their lives and what motivates them in total because someday you're gonna be trying to sell them something and to do that you really have to have some empathy and understanding.
0: Oh, such great advice. So Dave, what is the best part for you of being in the consumer goods industry? I think what I like about it is that it starts
1: with the consumer. And, I, and I'm really fascinated by how people think and what motivates them to make decisions. And when you're in the, the, the consumer world, what you're trying to do is sort of connect the dots between the consumer the culture that they live in, and the brand that you're trying to to grow. And so it's that connection, connecting the dots, consumer culture, brand, I think is really interesting and exciting to me because it's, it's nuanced and takes, there's math involved, but there's also music involved, you know, to really connect to a consumer. It's the math and the music. And I think generally these categories that are consumer driven tend to be more fun. They tend to be more relatable. They tend to be more high profile categories and brands that people all your friends and relatives are, are aware of and you're kind of in the mix and i think that's that makes it consumer goods industry you know beer is certainly a big part of that a fun place to be i'd also say lastly all these categories tend to be really competitive super competitive industries and i think when when you have lots of competition you know when i was at pepsi we couldn't exist without coke and vice versa when i was at pete's You know, we couldn't exist without Starbucks and vice versa, because it makes you better. It puts pressure on the companies to perform, but it brings out your best when you have tough competition that's driving you to to do things differently. So I think all these consumer goods companies, from Pepsi to to Procter & Gamble, to Clorox, to General Mills, to Boston Beer, all have those characteristics, which is why I think it's really an exciting place to be, and obviously why I've spent I guess my whole career in places like that.
0: And I guess the beer at the end of the day, I don't know if you're somebody who who gets to have a keg in his office, like that's got to be a nice part of it too.
1: It is fun. We have a great we have a great bar set up at the office. Now, of course, no one's been in the office since March 11th, but having one day we'll all be back together again, and it's a fun place to relax and socialize. I think in a beer industry look, it's a fun industry. You can't take it, you know, that seriously. You know, we have fun, obviously we do everything responsibly, but it's just a very casual atmosphere and I haven't worn a suit or a tie or probably anything remotely nice since I
0: started working at Boston Beer almost three years ago. Oh, that's awesome. Love it. What about the flip side? Because while there are plenty of people, I'm sure, who envy you as the top person at a company like Boston Beer Company, there are headaches that come along with the top job. What is the part of your current job as president and CEO, Dave, that sucks the most? Wow. <clears throat> I would say, I think it's probably the little things
1: that get in the way of the big things, if that makes sense, So, which may not be specific to my, to my role, but I think to a lot of people's jobs. And that is, I'd say today, like endless emails, and meetings in this case we used you know Microsoft Teams or Zoom that i think take away from my time and my ability to think about the future or to spend more time one on one with people so it's really about the things that are kind of and you can get sucked into just the maintenance type of work but you never you're never going to advance toward your goals or grow your business the way you want to if, if you're bogged down in those things so for me it's like how do i free myself And how do I have the discipline to only deal with those things at certain times of the day, and devote my other time to the things that are that are most important? Do you
0: have a good system?
1: Sort of. I think I've come to learn over the years that I'm really I'm best in morning hours, so I'm usually in the office by like seven thirty or so, and between let's say seven thirty and noon, I get like two days worth of work done, Mm. and my brain really (laughs) works really well in the morning, and then. After I'm, I'm hitting like four or five hours of meetings, I start to get more tired. So I, I tend to do I relegate some of the kind of road things, the email exchanges and responses to late afternoon, toward the end of the day when I know I don't need to use my full brain power. Sometimes, and I dedicate my full brain power in those
0: big projects that I want to work on. I schedule for the for the morning hours. So I am definitely not going to take it personally that <laughs> you scheduled this interview for. Non-peak brain power hours. <laughs> I, I'm just teasing. Okay. Three final espresso shots. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten, Dave?
1: I, I mean, I've been fortunate to, to have received a lot of good advice. I think that probably one or two things stand out to me. Um, one is the need to constantly kind of self-assess and get in touch with yourself. Be self-aware as you go, so you can constantly reinvent yourself and keep growing. So I think when you can work, you know, in one place for for a number of years, you get into a pattern that kind of puts you in, down a certain path that may not be the right path in terms of just your own development. So you constantly have to take a step back and say, okay, what do I? What am I doing that I like that I feel good about? What am I doing that I don't feel good about? And you certainly should have a manager help you with that, or a friend, or a colleague. And if you can identify every once in a while, I try to do it every year. What are you happy about? What are you unhappy about? Then you can address the things that you think you're not doing well, and constantly sort of wait. Try to really—I use the word reinvent yourself, a different person. Sometimes you can will your way to better behavior and create good habits, but you you have to force yourself. So I think it's really important to. Be attuned to what you like, that you're doing what you don't like. And I I think the second thing I would say is really just focusing on just a few big things because I think there's a tendency in any job to try to do everything and touch everything a little bit, but you should really think about it. Whatever role you're in, it could be your very first job out of college. And again, you get advice from your manager, but you should be able to identify, if I just do like one or two things really well this year,
0: What should they be? And make sure you stay focused on those things. Yes. There's a wonderful book written by Malcolm Gladwell that talks about, and now, of course, I'm like, and what was the title of the book? No, I'll think of it in a second. But he goes into the value of accruing 10,000 hours of expertise as a way to become really valuable. I mean, he's really looking at, I, th- I believe the book was, was it Blink? I think it was Blink. Yep. It was Blink. And he's looking at the people who've become the best of the best, whether it's a chess master or someone else who's at the very top of their industry. And he says it takes about 10,000 hours, which I did a back of the envelope math calculation. It's about, if you work 40 hours a week, that's about five years. Five years of work to build your skill set and become really good at it. Do you agree with that? I agree.
1: I do. I think one of the things that I've had to deal with in my career is I feel like I'm a really good generalist, so I have I don't have that one like towering strength or specialty because I probably didn't spend that time on the one thing because you know what? a lot of things interest have always interested me. I've never been interested in just one thing, so. My career has been, how do, you be, how do you come in as a generalist and make that an advantage and make that a positive? But I do believe that, look, if you want to get good at any craft, anything that you do, you have to commit yourself to it. You can't nail it in. You can't can't pretend. And I think that's also why when you look for jobs, you should look for, particularly that first job or second job, it's something that really you have passion around and that you can get excited about and you can motivate yourself to be better because it doesn't really matter what you're doing in that first or second job. It's about building capability, building skills, building self-knowledge that you can then take with you to the next
0: thing, whatever that might be. Absolutely. And yet I do know that there are some young people who haven't yet identified a passion. And in those instances, I would say follow your interests. (laughs) Don't stress yourself out. Like if you're interested in beer, if you're interested in coffee, if you're interested in fashion, if you're interested in whatever it is, start there, because so much of our lives is iterative, so much of our careers is iterative.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think of it this way: I think of it, and I, Andrew, what you just said, it's like it's a you know it's a journey, right? It's just a journey, and it's got to start somewhere, and then but that one step can lead. Where you maybe thought it was going to lead it or can lead to a completely different direction. And so it's really about just, you know, cobbling together the different steps along the way. And it's remarkable how you find a way to, to something that's going to make you feel fulfilled and, and feel happy. And, and oftentimes it's very hard to predict ahead of time what it's going to be. And the key, I think it's important just to keep an open mind and really make a strong effort to get the most out of whatever that, whatever that.
0: A hundred percent. And maybe because, Dave, I interviewed earlier today a man who started out in the music industry and went to a school where he studied like music composition and theory and a little technology and whatnot. And he has, honest to God, improvised his way into the tech startup world. And he's been in the tech startup world for about 15 years And it is all about improvisation. And I think that is, in fact, the way so much of our careers unfold outside the music industry, outside of doesn't matter what that space is, because shit happens, like curveballs get thrown at you, like the coronavirus and other things. And you have to improv. You have to figure it out. That's
1: exactly right. I mean, I agree completely. And I think something else I wish... I had thought about before, it's funny because I look back at a time in college, which was a college called Middlebury, which I think I know you're familiar with as well. And, you know, I don't, I don't wish I had, had more fun. I actually wish I had done more work <laughs> because I, <laughs> I think it's kind of strange, but I, I think I realized that a lot of the things that the connections you make, and really, like I talked about connecting you know, as a marketer in consumer goods is about connecting the dots between the consumer and the culture and the brand. I think a lot of life is just about, and work for sure, is about connecting the dots. And you, you know, I have a son now who's a senior in college. I know he's taking a course on Martin Heidegger, who, a German philosopher, not easy to read. (laughs) A whole course, not just a book, but a whole course on him. But I guarantee you, like some point in his life, he's going to, it's going to inspire him to see things differently. And you can make contributions and see value in things that other people don't see when you have all these different currents running inside of you. And I think that's what makes life interesting too, is is making, connecting to maybe things that seem unlikely to be connected together, make
0: them fit. Yes. Certainly as a marketer, as a brand person, that's really valuable. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Dave, what movies, if any, or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu shows, or books do you think accurately depict your profession?
1: Okay. That's an interesting one. So I can think of a few things that, that depict parts of what my life is. Mm-hmm. One of them, I would say, okay, billions, which is just a, such a well-written show. And and for me, it's not because you have to be a jerk to be successful, but it kind of talks to the nuances and the complexities of humans and human relationships And you know, is Paul Giamatti is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Is Damian Lewis a good guy or a bad guy? It changes every episode. You don't know. Mm -hmm. I think that's the reality of of dealing with people. People are very complex, and understanding what makes people, what people think, and what makes them behave, is really important to understanding how to be successful in a large organization. So that's one of them. Game of Thrones, one of my favorites, certainly. Love it. And I think just the utter competitiveness of Game of Thrones and as an example, this year, beginning of this year, you know, we at Boston Beer we have a product called Truly Hard Seltzer, and it's been quite successful. and, and our goal is to keep is to keep it that way. And, and one of our big competitors, Anheuser Busch InBev, was coming into the category with Bun Light Seltzer back in January, and we we talked about it like it was the you know the White Walkers were coming. <laughs> so we had to, to prepare. They're going to keep coming, and they're going to keep coming, and they're going to keep coming until you get like the Night King or whatever, you're not going to succeed. So it is that kind of competitiveness, and it's fun. By the way, you don't want to work in an industry where it's just lackluster and and competition doesn't matter. I mean, that's unlikely. Most industries have competition, good competition, but for me, I think Game of Thrones, certainly Pepsi, my Pepsi days, my Pete's days, even in the Boston Beer days, actually all three of those companies were sort of the underdog against much bigger competitors, and I think that Game of Thrones kind of mentality is interesting. I think I'll say one more, which is one of my favorites, which is no longer on, I think it was on Hulu, and that's uh, Nathan For You, which was kind of a fun, quirky show about how to market something that's seemingly unmarketable. It's and called you, Nathan For You? Nathan For You. And it's a guy, Canadian guy, Nathan, I forget his last name, who had this show who basically he would partner with different people who were looking... To make their companies or their brands successful, and who use very unconventional, super creative, and kind of on the edge type ideas in order to do that. And I think for me, what that talks to is really the, the creativity is rare in this world. It's you know, yeah, you see it in, in the entertainment industry for sure, and other kinds of storytelling businesses. But I think generally within the world of, of business, creativity is a very rare talent, and I think trying to find it and to attract creative people to your organization and treat them. Sometimes you have to treat them a little bit differently because they, they just operate differently is really important because people want to be presented to things in a different way, in a new way, in an exciting way, in a compelling way. And they want to be drawn
0: into storytelling and creative people can do that. And you know, the average people can't. Oh my gosh. Can't wait. I've watched Billions, love Billions, love Game of Thrones haven't watched or heard of Nathan for you, his name is Nathan Fielder. That's right. And uh, we'll include show links to all of those in case you want to watch. So final espresso shot, Dave, what would Java junkies be surprised to learn about this profession?
1: Okay. Well, I'd say probably a couple of things. I mean, one is we have to sell a lot of different constituents before you even get to the consumer so people tend to think, "Hey, I have a beer at San Adams or Truly Hard Seltzer, and I want to sell it to the consumer. And I'm going to market it to that consumer." In our industry, it's different because you have to go through a beer wholesaler. So we at Boston Beer are not allowed to distribute our beer straight to the grocery store or the liquor store where you would buy it. We have to go through about 400 different beer wholesalers. But in order to get to the shelf at your local, you know, Kroger or your local liquor store, we have to get our wholesalers excited about what we're doing. So we have to sell them. We have to sell actually the folks at Kroger and we have to sell the consumer. So there's like multi layers of persuasion required in order to get your product onto the shelf. The second thing I would say that's different is that this category, the beer category is just hugely competitive. And you think of There's the big players like Anheuser-Busch InBev and Constellation, who makes Modelo and Corona, and Heineken and Molson Coors. But you also, in our world, have about 8,500 or so small local craft brewers all over the country who make great beer, who we have to compete with. So we really have, call it 9,000 or so competitors (laughs) that we have to compete with every single day. And again, back to what I said earlier, that's what makes
0: it kind of exciting, too, and makes and forces you to be as good as you can possibly be. Yeah, I think that's why maybe the White Walkers is a good analogy, because you're thinking about all those 8,500 guys out there, those smaller craft breweries that are coming after you. Absolutely. Dave, thank you so much for making time for coffee today. I should have said make time for Sam Adams. It's almost that time. Uh, with me and the Time for Coffee community, this was just wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T for C. we